Hello and welcome back to the last episode in this series of State of Mind with me, Grace Kingswell. I haven't written this introduction. Usually I scribble them down um, and then read from a piece of paper or my iPhone so it sounds nice and professional. But I just wanted to make this introduction a little bit more raw and hopefully grab your attention with it because this episode is so, so good. Um, My guest today is the founder of Piper's Farm. His name is Peter. Um, And Piper's Farm is a small family-run farm in Devon. Um, And they sell via their website the most amazing quality um, beef and chicken and pork. And they also have a pantry with um, breads and they sell milk. But it is for want of a better word, because I feel like it's a bit of a buzzword, it's a regenerative uh, farm. Um, And actually, that's one of the terms that I explore with Peter today. You know, what does that actually mean when we say regenerative agriculture? What does it actually mean for something to be grass fed? And actually, something I learned from him is that something can be called grass fed if it's only 50% grass and forage fed. Um... So again, more miscommunication and confusion for the consumer. Um, It was so refreshing to speak to Peter. Um, I learned so much from this episode and really centering, I guess, around the relationship between our health as humans and the environment that our animals live in as being completely inseparable and that actually... As I've spoken about on previous episodes, you know, the kind of question of plant-based diets and veganism are totally disconnected from the kind of ecology and, and you know, this cyclical nature of rearing animals well, letting them fertilise the soil, then letting the soil regenerate and become more diverse, more abundant, more fertile, to then grow food in for us as humans and to help, you know, bees and pollination and all of that. Like it's, it is an ecosystem and we cannot keep buying our animal products from big supermarket corporations who essentially are dealing in animal products that are low welfare terrible for the for the planet um, and terrible for our human health as well and actually one of the most um, interesting pieces of this podcast is actually Peter's backstory and that comes first and he describes how actually despite the fact that these days him and his wife Henry and their family farm um, in the way that they do his dad actually pioneered battery farmed chickens in the UK. So he grew up on a farm where they had huge sheds full of birds um, that were reared very, very quickly, you know, fed antibiotics and all of the rest of it. Um, and his kind of journey to more the more regenerative um, agriculture side of things is super interesting. So I think that this will leave you feeling really empowered to make good choices as a consumer it will leave you with a lot of knowledge that you can kind of use to enrich your life 
the lives of your loved ones and ultimately to impact your own personal health, which has been the goal with my podcast since I started it. You know, what can we do to make ourselves feel better and then consequently to be better humans, to be better environmentalists because we're not waking up every day feeling tired um, with no energy because we're fueling ourselves with truly good produce. So, yeah, completely unscripted. I hope that that has made you um, shuffle to the edge of your seat ready for this episode. Um, Stick with it. Peter is um, such a lovely guest. And yeah, if you want to try out some produce from Piper's Farm, then, and I highly recommend you do, it's honestly just so 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 good the quality is amazing you can use the code grace 10 at their checkout on their website that's grace in capitals and then 10 um, for a discount um, and just type into google piper's farm and um, there's also so much information on their website about exactly how they do things and why so yeah well worth a read if this is your area of interest um yeah enjoy the episode Welcome, Peter, to the podcast. It's so great to have you here. I'm really excited to chat to you today. Um, I would love to just kick things off with you giving us a little bit of background about yourself. I know um, you come from a family of farmers and you have quite an interesting story to tell. Well, thanks, Grace. It's so nice to be with you too. Um, Yes, very much from a family of farmers. I grew up on a small family farm in Kent, about 25 miles south of London. And my mum and dad had moved there when my uncle died. And uh, my grandfather said to dad, we got a chain of food shops that had been started by my great grandfather. And I need you to come and be involved in the business. And so, although mum and dad had only ever really wanted to be farmers, they found themselves within commuting distance of London. And my dad spent 25 years commuting to London and running this chain of food shops. There was about 230 of them across the south of England. But that meant that I was born and brought up on this small farm south of London. From the age of one and three quarters, maybe a little bit older, but I don't think I was quite two. I thought, this is all I ever want to do. I just want to be in the farmyard. But I also followed dad around the shops. I used to go with him as a tiny boy and to visit the food shops and visit his office in London where they baked cakes on the same floor as his office. And on the floor above, they blended tea and roasted the coffee. And opposite, on the the other side of the small street, they smoked all the sides of bacon. So I had this slightly unusual mix, I guess, of growing up with uh, a mix of farming and um, food shops. And uh, so when I was... Uh, I went to university and um, there met Henry, my wife. 
after uni, um, I went to Australia to the outback and she went and farmed a farm on Dartmoor. And I thankfully persuaded her to come out to Australia. So we then farmed together in Australia and New Zealand, came back and farmed a high hill farm in Wensleydale. Hmm. And that was the first six years of our married life. And it was great because tough as it was, it taught us that nature was king up there. Mm. And it, it gave us a really good, solid grounding in the relationship between farming and nature and respecting nature. Mm. But we left there uh, when the farm was sold and went back to the small family farm that I had been brought up on mm -hmm. in Kent. That was where my dad was farming industrial chickens. He had pioneered that system of farming in the early 1950s. And the only thing left on the farm by 1987, when Henry and I went there, was these industrial chickens. The shops had been sold and so these chickens were going to a high street chain. Mm. And it was extraordinary because there was Henry and I, we were young farmers. And I found myself standing in these sheds of chickens thinking there is no way we would want to bring the customers from this high street chain into this environment of food production. Mm. they would probably never eat chicken again in their lives. Yeah. And at the same time, Henry and I had the discussion about, it's mad, these chickens are being kept alive by antibiotics and there is no way that is sustainable and also there is no way that makes sense from a human health point of view. Mm. And so it was very straightforward for Henry and I to say we want, as young farmers, to go and produce food in a way that we are happy to feed our children. It, it's such a basic and strong instinct as young parents, but also as young farmers, to produce food that you're happy to feed to your children. Mm. And so that was the, the beginning, really, of Piper's Farm. But at the same time, I went to the parish show. So Henry was nursing young William and Edo was two and helping out. But I had this moment to sort of take a step back and try and explore around this idea of how we might take this notion of producing food that we were happy to feed to our children and converting it into a business. Mm. And I went to the parish show in 1987, and I was blown away that the food hall is vast, and the farmers spend two or three hours sitting down, eating what they have produced, the food and the drink 
under big banners explaining where they're from with enormous just pride and passion for their role as producers of good food and good drink, but also of pleasure. It was clearly deeply ingrained in their culture. Mm. And I came back very inspired. And, and the same year I went to the Royal Show, which then was the biggest agricultural show in this country. And the food hall was tiny and nobody was sitting down and everybody was walking around mm. eating curled up ham sandwiches. And then I went and I hunted high and low the length and breadth of the country to find a butcher's shop which inspired me in the same way as I'd been inspired in Paris. And alas, I could not find mm, one. Wow. Absolutely not a single one. But at the other really important thing, Grace, was that when I was a little boy, all of the neighbours in West Kent had been small family farms. And I would have walked up the road to Jeff Wicks, who milked 12 Jersey cows, and I would have just taken a jug of milk out of the churn. And by the mid-80s, all of those family farms had mm. gone. And so what also was absolutely to clear to Henry and I was this resource of these smaller scale family farms is so precious. We deeply believe in it. And so we said we want to build a business which nourishes that, which embraces it. So we had to move somewhere in the country where these family farms still existed. And that was how come we landed near Exeter yeah. in Devon. Wow, it's it's such an inspiring story. And I think anyone that knows that Piper's Farm brand um, will be fascinated to hear that. Um, I really want to dive in, Peter, to the the difference between the way you farm and the way we typically consume meat via supermarkets. And I guess it's this whole idea of regenerative agriculture, regenerative farming, and what that really means. Um, so if you could, um, I would love for you to explain to us the difference between um, the industrial model and the way that you think, the way that you do things on Piper's farm. And what is, sorry, just to add in, like, what is regenerative agriculture like it's a real buzzword at the moment but I think we need to kind of unpack it to begin with I think in a way two extracts out of that background which I've just given you define our vision um, the first is that when we were farming in the Dales we were part of a community that had to respect nature if you tried to push back against nature, it would put you in its place. Mm. And we had many very harsh winters up there. So that was an important part of the, the sort of formative time for us in building a vision. The second thing was that the contrast between that and rearing chickens in an environment where nature was excluded and basically 
the industrial system of agriculture believes that nature is not a vital part of the human existence. And most especially that farming isn't intimately tied up with that relationship between humanity and nature. So I think for us, the vision was very clear. And if you like, it was going back to the future. Now, we didn't use the word regenerative, but we knew we wanted to capture the wisdom that had been handed down through successive generations of family farms. So that it isn't a it isn't a sort of fashion, it isn't a a new scientific concept. It is simply the way in which families have learned to coexist with the natural environment on their particular farm. And this, we believe, is very important. It isn't a one-size-fits-all. Across the globe, each individual farming environment is unique in terms of the character, the the resources Mm. which are available Mm. to it. And so we would say that Piper's Farm is about good old-fashioned common sense. It is when, as a family farmer, you get up in the morning and you go out to confront the natural world. When you come in for breakfast, you talk about it around the kitchen table. And we often say that the further you get from the kitchen table of a family farm, the further you are removed from common sense. (laughs) And so it is that the industrialised, globalised food system has become totally disconnected from basic common sense of a very simple relationship between a farmer and the natural world in which they are producing yeah. food. It's, it's, it is very simple in those terms, I believe. And from that, the entire vision and Piper's Farm model is built. Mm. So explain to us why you why all of your cattle, for example is um, grass-fed. What does that mean? How is it different from what we buy in the supermarkets? How is it different for human health? And how is it, how is it beneficial, let's say, for the, the planet, planetary health? So I think just to use industrial chickens as an example that will then feed into the explanation about how we feed our beef cattle. Mm -hmm. When my dad first pioneered the production of industrial chickens, his houses held 7,000 birds in each house. Wow. And it took about 50 days to rear a chicken. By 1987, on the farm where I had been brought up, 
My dad had five chicken houses, so he had the original two 7,000 bird houses, and he had a 14,000, a 28,000, and a 38,000 bird house. And it was taking 32 days to grow a chicken. Wow. So in the 30 years or so since he pioneered it, the scientists, the industrialists, had kept coming to the conclusion that the way to make more money for them was to make chickens grow faster in more industrialised environments. God, it's absolutely disgusting. <laughs> So horrible. Well, the, the, the thing is that fast forward to now, they really would not consider it sensible to build a shed with less than 70,000 chickens in. And it is possible to rear those same chickens in about 28 days now. So there is a, an absolute exponential process of making farm animals grow faster and trying to do it at lower and lower unit cost. But this is absolutely terrifying because that is the meat and that is the chicken that most of the UK will consume, right? Because it's it's cheap, it's affordable, we're totally disconnected with how it's produced so like we don't have to see that bit we don't have to know how awful it is and how fast it is and it it cannot be and I, it is not healthy for the human body to consume that animal well that's why in a way we were so fortunate for henry and i it was a no-brainer to see chickens in that environment and the thing is that as a good stockman you would always try to put yourself into the environment your livestock are in. So for me, in those chicken sheds, I would get down on my hands and knees. So my nose was within two inches of the bed that they were standing on. And that environment, I can tell you, is not something that you can withstand for very long. Mm. But... It is the perfect environment for food poisoning bacteria. So this is where, as you're pointing out, uh, the relationship between our food and our environment and our health is inseparable. And it is the same for farm animals. So to rear animals in an environment where you completely compromise their natural immune mm. system because remember in these sheds there is no ultraviolet mm. light they are kept very mm. warm so the the bedding is very moist and saturated with urine and and feces so that is breeding massive quantities of e coli salmonella campylobacter and the birds themselves have no help from ultraviolet light to resist yeah. 
that challenge. So the balance is completely out of kilter and the only way to sustain it is with constant antibiotics. Yeah. So for us, the definition was simple. We wanted to rear animals, feeding them a natural diet in a healthy environment, allowing them to exhibit natural behavior so that their natural immune system is as robust as possible. What about the argument that, because obviously I totally agree with what you're saying, 100%, but not everyone in the UK can necessarily afford to source their meat in a way more ethical, sustainable, humane way. What about, and I'm sure people have asked you this before, and I'm just being facetious, but what about the argument that, you know, we, we now have so many mouths to feed? How do we feed those mouths with very small-scale family-run farms? Two answers for that. The first part is cheap meat is an absolute myth, or cheap food. So if we say that food is about nutrition, and you know much more about this than I do. But the reason we put something into our bodies is to provide us with nourishment and nutrition yeah. and the ability to function everything else. So, the, and, and the reason I can answer this so confidently is because for 23 years, we had a shop in the centre of Exeter. So I have witnessed many thousands of our customers walking through the door our customers do not necessarily have a lot of money. They have simply been smart enough to think, how do we get good value for our weekly spend on food? So we might have had families who would have said, we will buy chicken carcasses from you to make bone broth and risottos and soups. But I know, and this would be the person shopping, I know I am buying good nourishment at the price point that matches our mm. budget. Likewise, if one of our customers buys one of our chickens for £12, they would often say to us, we will feed a family of four for three meals from mm. that chicken. And it is real nutrition. Yep. So along with the industrial systems of food production, the amount of waste is eye-watering because people do not respect the food that they are buying and therefore they think nothing of taking breasts off the chicken and throwing the rest away or, or just simply not respecting it. And this is where I think the way to feed the world is undoubtedly to go back from these big, globalised, industrialised corporate models mm. to the smaller scale family farmers who produce food, which is part of a functional, more localised food mm. system, where people would start to respect and understand value rather than yeah. price. So 
people, listeners of this podcast will have heard me talk about this <clears throat> before, excuse me. Um, and it's kind of circling back to this idea of grass fed versus grain fed. Um, to recap, industrially farmed uh, meat will be fed on grain, even if it's organic. Correct me if I'm wrong, it's generally still grain. Um, and what happens when we consume animals that are reared on grain is that we end up with a meat that's really high in omega-6s and pretty low in omega-3s. And as listeners of this podcast will know, that balance in the body is so important for inflammation, which is at the, the root of every modern illness. Um, so feeding an animal on on well, grass, i.e. what it is designed and has evolved to live on, ultimately you end up with a way healthier product. Um, now, supermarkets, I've noticed, have started to introduce grass-fed meat, um, but it doesn't say that it's also grass-finished. So I'd love for you to just explain to the listeners what the difference between grass-fed and grass-finished is, and then also how do we how can we have confidence in the food that we're buying? Like, How do we know if something says grass fed? Are there any regulations? Like, can they just claim that? Is it is it like a regulated space? Is it always going to be grass fed and not grass finished? I mean, what are the kind of distinctions there? Well, I think this largely comes down to the relationship between the shopper and the farmer or the source of supply. There are some very good people um, moving in this space, people called the Pasture-Fed uh, Livestock Association. Now, they are absolutely clear. Those animals must only be fed pasture or forage from beginning mm. to end. Now, we believe exactly the same thing, i.e. our ruminant livestock Cattle and sheep are fed mother's milk and forage. And the reason for that is the rumen is a multi-chambered uh, digestive system or the rumen, the rumen reticulum, the omasum, the abomasum. That digestive system of ruminant animal is designed to mix forage with the uh, gut biome, the billions of bacteria and when you see a cow or a sheep lying in the field, apparently doing not much, they're chewing the cud. They're regurgitating that forage, having been mixed with the gut biome, chewing it again. And crucially, the uh, contents of the gut biome, when there is no longer any nutritional value for that animal, pass out in the form of dung. And the cow pats on our farm and from any cattle just fed a natural forage diet disappear in days because a cow pat out of one of our red ruby bullocks is like milk, I mean, meat and two veg to the billions of soil invertebrates and the bacteria and therefore the mycorrhizal fungi. That wonderful world of the soil will take in the nutrients from the dung from an animal that's had a natural diet. So in terms of the natural cycle, it all works. As soon as you put cereals into the digestive system of a ruminant animal, 
you are basically screwing up that natural process. It cannot regurgitate a stodgy mix of grain. Mm. So the acidity, the pH of the gut is changed, the microflora changed totally, the makeup of the dung is changed. So that's why purely forage-fed is the natural diet of the animal. Grass-fed is a label which can be used for an animal fed 51% forage. Right. Now, that patently is not a natural diet, but it manoeuvres around this business of consumers taking a very quick look at a label and from that deducing whether or not it represents good food or good value Mm. or whatever. So grass-fed is very different or can be very different from an absolute statement, this ruminant animal has had mother's milk and forage only start to finish. Wow. So there's even a grey area with grass-fed then? It's not, it's not necessarily all it's cracked up to be. Totally. But it, Grace, I think what is at stake here is customers need to dig yeah. deep. They really, if they really care about putting good, wholesome food into their body, they need to build that connection back to the source of their food. And we would urge customers through our website to ask as searching a question as they would like. And then if they want to come to the farm and I will show them around the farming Mm. systems, actually physically look at how the food is produced and and made available through our um, website. But that is essential if customers really want the truth. Mm. I completely agree. I'm going to ask you a very frank question, Peter. What are your thoughts on veganism? Well, I think vegans have a very important role to play. And the reason is because the industrialised systems of food production have gone so far off the scale in one direction, the wrong direction, I think veganism is serving a very um, justifiable objective of saying somebody has to provide Mm. balance here. Now, we are absolutely convinced the way we are producing food is a very honest, realistic balance between the need to produce food that is really wholesome and healthy and providing it to customers in a way which they can get. I mean, it's no point saying we produce the most wonderful food if it is not easily Mm. accessible. But absolutely, I am convinced without any doubt that simply saying plant-based 
veganism is the way to have a sustainable diet or the way that you can eat in the most climate friendly way. I'm very sorry, but my lifetime of farming says no, livestock play a vital role in the natural cycles, the natural systems of what nature is incredible. It's, it's mm. so cool. And thank God every day we work in an environment where we can be so close to it and appreciate it. But having witnessed in all my farming life the natural world at work, I would say livestock farmed in harmony with nature play a critical role in sustaining a rich, biodiverse planet. And I absolutely do not believe veganism is achieving that. And also, I don't believe it is the way to a really healthy, balanced diet either. Mm. I might insert a round of applause here on the podcast uh, because uh, I love everything that you just said. Um, and yeah, circling back to kind of what you were saying about um, when your cattle and your sheep poo and the nutrients from that goes back into the soil. I think people will kind of know what we're getting at now because the last episode I recorded was all on soil health and how that is just fundamental to to everything. What I love about this episode, Peter, is that you've managed to obviously give us all so much knowledge and information just generally about farming and how you work, but also I think really validated and reinforced this idea that actually not only do we need to care about what we're putting in our bodies from a health standpoint, we also need to choose very wisely what we consume with regards to actually ensuring ensuring why can I not say that word ensuring sorry the longevity of our planet and our ecosystems and the very very delicate balance that these ecosystems live in and how you know it doesn't take much to really disrupt them and then to just produce franken food essentially um so thank you so much for that and for just yeah just really giving that information on on why it's not just a question of grass fed it's actually a question of this is what we need to do for everyone's health and for the planet's health is there anything that you would just like to quickly add that you think i've forgotten just to round up um the episode before we finish well i think it, it just feels really exciting grace that you are coming from a standpoint of understanding about nutritional health and that's just so basic isn't it and as farmers there is nothing more exciting than to feel each day we set about producing food which people really get mm. pleasure from and it, it makes their lives better so I think it depends on customers the whole outcome here if we're really going to disrupt these industrial giants if we are going to change the way that farming becomes a force for good in terms of climate health and starts to produce food that people get real nutritional mm. value from 
It entirely depends on customers making those decisions. And so just a huge thank you to you because these discussions, they really matter. And for all those family farmers we're working with, they would like to give you a round of applause and, oh. and thank you and thank your listeners because it's cool. It's really cool. And for Henry and I, for most of 30 years, we couldn't understand why these discussions weren't being had. Mm. And now they are. And it's so exciting. So thank you. Great. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your knowledge with us all. Thank you so much for tuning in to this series of State of Mind. I have absolutely loved doing these sort of shorter, more informative episodes where we really delve into one particular topic. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. Um, do rate the podcast and leave me a review if you haven't already on the Apple Podcast app. Um, I will be back with a new series, uh, hopefully very soon. Um, don't forget you can go and listen to Two's Company, which is my new podcast um, with my mate Sophie, where we talk about politics and pop culture and... Um, feminism and swimming um, and if you would like to try food from Piper's Farm the discount code is GRACE10 thank you so much again for listening and chat to you soon bye bye